0: You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, it's the holiday season, it's December, and most likely this is kind of a time when we're all expected to sort of slow things down a little bit. Of course, there's, you know, hanging out with friends and family, there's time off work. Uh, if you work in retail, hopefully you can get some time off during this time. Uh, but if you happen to have been one of the people that have been affected by any of these layoffs that have happened over the past few months, I know I have. You're probably looking for your next opportunity and maybe thinking that December might not be a good time to look because people are out of work. Companies aren't really trying to hire in December, at least not for big corporate jobs or things like that. They might try to pick it up in January. I've got a tip that I think you should do. If you haven't done so already, you should join the 10th Collective. Now, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time this year, then you've heard me talk about the 10th Collective. This is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design, and the goal of it is to match companies that are looking to hire black designers with black designers that are looking for their next opportunity. So far, since we've launched it earlier this year, we have almost 50 members in the 10th Collective, and we have companies including American Express, Launchpad, and Rogo who are signed up and recruiting directly from our members. Now, if you're a black designer listen to this and you want to be in on it, guess what? It's free to join. It's free to join. All you have to do is fill out a short profile and you're all set. You will only get contacted by companies when they're ready to talk to you. And you can hide your profile from companies or remain completely anonymous. The best thing about the 10th Collective is that it's meant to be a resource for you, whether you're looking for your next opportunity or not. So even if you have a job and you're like, oh, I don't really need to look, but you just want to sort of put some feelers out, join the 10th Collective. If you're actively looking for work, let The Tenth Collective be another asset in your back pocket for your career. Head over to the 10thcollective.com to join or check out the link in the show notes. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Lawrence Humphrey, co-founder and CEO of Pearl and co-founder and executive director of Tech Can Do Better. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, yeah, so I'm Lawrence Humphrey. I'm founder, CEO of Pearl. And I, as a very new startup, very stereotypically, I do everything from setting the strategy, building the team to executing against the strategy, executing it against myself, to taking out the trash and cleaning up the floor, so to speak. So uh, very much the stereotypical startup journey right now. But yeah, I do it all. It's been really exciting. As a nosy person, I love being able to stick my nose in
2: everything.
0: (laughs) How has 2022 been going so far? I feel like the second half of this year has been plagued by news about tech layoffs and things like that. How have you been holding up?
1: Yeah. You know, this has been a very, let's say, uncomfortable year, but not obviously there are the greater... As you mentioned, societal forces making people uncomfortable, the job uncertainty. I am one of the people that quit my job this year to go full time with Pearl. So oh. my discomfort is more for from and I you know, discomfort and excitement for having taken that leap. And I mean, this is my my first rodeo, so to speak. So I'm excited. And you know, it's very much and I don't have kids, but it's just I have so much optimism for this kid. And I want to make sure I raise him in order to be I want it to be successful. So, that's been a super fulfilling journey and definitely a venture into uncharted territory for me.
0: Yeah, anytime you step out there and do your own thing for the first time, it is equal parts like exhilarating and terrifying. Like, yeah. You have so much freedom, but you also like really want to make sure that it actually succeeds.
1: Yeah, and I've been telling people that both the highs and lows are much more, they have a higher magnitude, right? Mm-hmm. I feel the highs more, I mean, because they're my doing. This is because of, you know, direct output from my input, which the same could be said for the lows. So I'm getting used to the swings and trying to approach them with more equanimity, so not get necessarily as whipped around by them.
0: Yeah. Going into next year, into 2023, do you have any kind of big resolutions or goals that you want to accomplish?
1: I mean, the big one, and very practically, is to be working on Pearl. And, you know, that's like the low-hanging fruit. Ideally, and I haven't quantified this yet, I haven't actually run the projections, but I would like for there to be a healthy amount of organic collaboration instead of me, let's say, heavy-handedly ask, really, really guiding people's hand using the platform. Ideally, we would have some early evangelists and the early adopters just really giving us good data, using it, deriving value from it. Beyond that, I mean, I'm very short-sighted right now with just making sure that the business is set up for success long-term and doing what – And I haven't done like my 2023 strategic planning yet. That's going to be the next few weeks.
0: Yeah. Well, let's talk more about Pearl, which um, I see here is described as a platform that makes finding actionable hiring solutions from vetted and diverse leaders easy. Tell me more about it.
1: Yeah. So this is born from, and it's kind of without getting into the full origin story, maybe we'll get there. The observations that I've seen are we have no shortage of collaboration tools, a lot of which come to mind, let's say the Slacks, the Teams even hbr articles to get thought leadership but there is a shortage of solutions that a get us out of our own echo chambers into finding i mean really practically let's say like what do women think about hiring like what where are women hiring etc and also the follow-up to that is a lot of it is quote-unquote like thought leadership And not the boots on the ground practical work, the practical instructions and recipes that these users or these leaders have used in order to drive results. And I see these both working together in this very pernicious cycle of, you know, we continue to reinvent the wheel. We're slower in terms of delivering outcomes. We deliver worse outcomes. People feel like worse leaders because they're not getting connected to the work that by most in most cases already exist from the leaders that have done it. So that's the opportunity that I see with Pearl. And we're starting with a problem that all leaders have or will face hiring. So, you know, this is where we're uh, the first step of our journey in proving out our value prop. So yeah, without getting into the origin story, that's uh, what Pearl is here to solve.
0: No, look, get into the origin story. Like where did the idea sort of come from?
1: Yeah. So for that, it starts 2 years ago and the name of that org was Tech Can Do Better and the week after George Floyd was murdered I was still working at IBM and I noticed how my company at the time and the tech industry and not just the tech industry but that's just where I live and breathe they threw their hands up and they were bemused about what could be done to drive racial equity and what ways are we perpetuating it what how could this happen and I got really frustrated at the confusion and how frantic the industry was, knowing that I'd been on the inside with some of my coworkers, predominantly other black tech employees, advocating for what racial equity looked like within our company. And it felt like at the time we just got pats on the head. And tech can do better was my response to basically remove any obstacle that a tech company could have. Like, I don't know what to do, where to go. And I co authored essentially a white paper with other black and brown folks from across the industry to outline very actionable steps about how to drive racial equity, whether you were an executive, middle manager, independent contributor, anywhere in between. This is how you can get started with racial equity. And I think we hosted a dozen community calls, had people representing 50 companies from across the industry to help get each other unstuck. And that was when I realized that there was a demand and let's say, uh, an overlooked opportunity, an unsolved pain point for having very actionable perspective from black and brown perspectives. But even more broadly, it just exposed a lot of collaboration uh, hiccups, and we weren't making it easy to get the answers we need. So it started there, and the other half of the story, I've been a leader with Pearl for almost two years, or a little over two years now. And I find myself reinventing the wheel every day. And I mean, hiring is just one of them. And I wrote the white paper for what diverse hiring looks like. And I assembled all of these diverse hiring sources. And I still have trouble doing it. So even for me, very selfishly, I'm creating this tool to hopefully mitigate reinventing the wheel over and over again for all of these, what I perceive to be mostly solved problems. Mm. I have to imagine hiring in any capacity is roughly 80% solved. And it's just a matter of getting that answer and putting my own little Lawrence Humphrey customization on it. Or, you know, Maurice, you customize it that last 20%. But I've been doing a lot of starting from 20 and then building out 80%, which is an abject waste of time.
0: I see, I see. I mean, it's interesting because like, you know, you mentioned that this sort of came out from the summer of 2020 and a lot of companies certainly Had those pledges to quote unquote do better, what you know, in whatever way that meant for them in terms of diversity and inclusion. And it feels like now, two plus years out from it, that some of those promises have kind of started to wane a little bit. Is Pearl kind of a way to hold companies like this accountable?
1: I will agree that I've seen the demand and let's say the attention wane. And I wouldn't say Pearl is a way. To hold them accountable, I think tech can do better was more that than Pearl is. Mm-hmm. One of my philosophies is I think that as a designer, my design background here is if users will do whatever is easiest by in most cases, or whatever the system sets them up to do, and Perl is an aim to make doing the right thing easier. I'd venture to say in my learnings with tech can do better, there are no shortage of people who want to be practicing racial equity at work, showing up in a more human way, building diverse teams, fostering inclusive collaboration. It's just that they don't have the tools and, let's say, the literal practical tools like the software and the, let's say, the soft skills tools to actually do those things. So Pearl is trying to make doing the right thing easier and less about accountability, pointing fingers, et cetera, et cetera. It's assuming positive intent and connecting people that want to be doing the right thing, but not, might not know where to start.
0: Mm. You know, I'm looking at the website now. I see you've got a great diverse team of advisors behind you. What does a, a regular day look like for you working on Pearl?
1: <laughs> Being so early, it and maybe it, and I'm sure it changes at some point, but Every day looks really different, and to the extent that I have any sort of consistency in my routine, it's more location based. You know, I love going to coffee shops, so I'll go in the AM to the coffee shop to do my heads down, you know, deep thinking work where I will do everything from craft, social media, marketing, outreach to working on the product itself to planning out what features need to be added, prioritizing. From feedback that I heard in user interviews, what releases need to happen and when. And then in the afternoon, usually I have my calls either with my team, with potential customer discovery interviews, with my advisors. And that's usually when I do my more, let's say, um, not heads down work. But by and large, the shape of each day from the outside might look similar, but what I'm doing is very different day to day. I mean, I, I can't say I take many podcast calls right now, so I already <laughs> <laughs> quite the variety that I'm getting right now.
0: Well, you got to get the word out about what you're doing, you know, so you have to do a little bit of a press here yeah. and there.
1: No, I, I 100% <laughs> agree. I, um, and I had a release last Monday where I opened up Pearl to close family, friends, I mean, the social media, you know, Mm-mm. the people within my first, second degree connections. And I was joking that I feel like I need to go on tour now. I dropped my my little EP, and I'm I'm shopping it around and seeing how it lands, getting people to listen to it, getting them to download my mixtape and all that.
0: So let's say that I'm I'm a company or I'm a leader of a company that's interested in Pearl. Like, what does the onboarding process look like?
1: Yeah, so right now, and I guess it's worth backing up and just talking through Pearl is a b2b and b2c you can think of like a github or even like a figmore or slack or something like that so there are two avenues for which you can get engaged and i know you were talking about that b2b version for that you can reach out to us and pilot with us and you can do that from our website but the onboarding looks like an opening call where we can do some intros i can tell you i mean maybe if you're listening to this i won't have to tell you as much about pearl But we do some discovery to hear which pain points are you most struggling with. The few use cases that I identified are basically we're helpful in smoothing out the transition between either people joining or leaving your team. So let's say you are getting rid of some folks, which is timely, you know, whether they're either leaving or they got laid off. That work doesn't just evaporate. It usually gets reallocated somewhere between the the team. And it's about helping them codify that work such that whomever is picking it up, it minimizes the time between zero to 60 and getting up to speed. And then whenever they backfill that person, minimizing the friction of getting them caught up to speed. So that's one use case. We're also useful in kicking off projects that have multiple stakeholders, either within or outside the company that require frequent and high touch collaboration. So a couple of use cases that we talk out on that call and then fleshing out what success looks like at the end of a two to four week sprint. It's very much responding in the in person, just live in the meeting for where we can add the most value. Like I said, it's more important to me to add value and see how folks are using Pearl. And you know it's it's about figuring out where that sweet spot is between what problems they're having and what I see Pearl being poised to solve.
0: What would you say is the most challenging parts about what you do?
1: Oh, boy. You know, I think that this might be, you know, I'm just going to think out loud here. I might have to like, I might discover the answer. So I'm just more talking it out. Okay. Because this is my first rodeo, I feel like I have a strong intuitive sense for what I feel like needs to be done at any given time. At the same time, I'm grappling with the fact that practically and in reality because i've not done this i cannot fully trust my intuition for what what should be done and for that i have advisors and knowing when to pull them in and i usually bounce ideas off of them but it is just truly the the i'm meandering like i said into this uncharted territory with very little visibility of what's in front of me and It's just navigating the ambiguity in a way that is, it makes me feel like I can confidently chart the course and bring other people in. Luckily, I've had great advisors. And because it's, I don't have, you know, a team of 100, I don't really have to justify my my decisions to many people. But sometimes it's just like the day-to-day, like I have no clue if this is going to work and I just try something. And if it doesn't work, and I don't, I mean, no one likes failing, but it's just, I'm getting used to things not going according to plan more so than they do go according to plan. Mm -hmm. The self-management, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but just that, like keeping my own, keeping the wind in my own sails. Yeah. I don't know if that's the way to say it. You know, I'll probably think of a more eloquent way to say it. But
0: But like to keep that motivation going, essentially, right? Yeah.
1: And just like. It is the age old, all right, I tried six things. None of them went according to plan. And, you know, you have that day you get off a call where it's like, that did not go like I wanted it to go. And at the same time, tomorrow I'm going to get up and do it all over again. You got to keep pushing through. But, yeah, that motivation is huge.
0: Yeah. I don't know. As you were describing that, it sort of reminded me of that old uh, Donald Rumsfeld quote about how there's, like, no knowns mm-hmm. and – uh there's unknown unknowns and it sounds like certainly i think with venturing into a startup of something like this where you're trying to you don't know what you don't know so even yeah. as you're trying to build this product and build this company there are other things down the line that you may encounter that you don't really have an idea of but that's why you've got advisors to hopefully kind of help you out and to give you that foresight
1: exactly and i mean it's not an unknown phenomenon there is it it always doesn't work right before it does and that's what's keeping me going. And I read another quote, and I think it was, and this might be exposing one of my little guilty pleasures here, but there's this book called Tiny Beautiful Things. Cheryl Strayed is this amazing writer. And I think she said in one of her books that you just have to show up and do the work. Like minors don't show up and like self-doubt, like, oh, I'm not a great miner. I don't think that I'm not good at this. What, what should I do about it? they just show up and dig. And I just tell myself, literally I have it written down, it's like show up and dig. Hmm. I like, it that. doesn't really matter how you feel about it. Just, just do the work.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, what is like, what would you see as success with Pearl? Like, let's say it's, I don't know, a couple of years down the line. What do you see as like being Pearl's biggest success?
1: Yeah. If every, you know, a few years out, I would like to have, the most actionable stop for workplace or leadership questions period or challenges period. I and I, you know, those two pain points that I mentioned at the start, I do think they're inextricably linked. So very practically, I am a pretty early career, early to mid-career professional black leader, and a SaaS-based business, SaaS-based startup disproportionately the solutions that you could find on the internet that you could talk to mentors about all of it skews towards a couple of the, you know, majority, the majority demographics. So Mm -hmm. most leaders are white. Most leaders are male. Most companies are enterprises. These aren't as helpful for me with all of those attributes that I mentioned So if I could create a platform that allows you to find the most actionable solutions by the people who have done the work and are living it, I would consider that a huge win. And speeding up time and quality of outcomes or time to uh, task, time to delivery, quality of outcomes, but also making leaders feel like, okay, I'm not the only one struggling with this. There I can find my little pocket of, Other similar leaders and also burst, you know, look outside of my bubble to see, Okay, for this challenge, I want to know how women are solving it. I mean, there are just some challenges that certain demographics are more more poised at addressing than others. I mean, Mm -hmm. rewind to 2020. I don't want necessarily to know how, let's say, white folks are solving racial equity in their workplace. I think that most people were looking for what are black and brown solutions to hiring, to doing or to measuring impact of my product, you know, that those sorts of things. Similar to the Me Too era, men didn't have as much of a place in that. That was a woman's conversation. So if I can do that, that's a huge win.
0: Hmm. Now, we've talked a lot about your work. Of course, we've learned more about Pearl, but I want to learn more about you, about Lawrence. Tell me about where you grew up.
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's funny cuz I I'm living in like two of the trendiest places in the US right now, but back when I was growing up in Nashville, I was both underage and it was underdeveloped. So, I didn't really experience the cool Nashville that a lot of people experience today. But I moved around a lot growing up. I uh, landed in Nashville third grade and was there through graduation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was pretty into STEM but didn't really know. And I think that this is a through line of my story. I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a long time. I had a vague idea of, I wanted to create something that impacts a lot of people. And at the time it was, you know, like the, the scientists of the time, like Nikola Tesla and like Leonardo da Vinci's and Newton and all these people that create things that like change the world. And then it, as I went through high school, I had a vague idea of what computer science was because I watched the social network all the time. And <laughs> I was like, this seems dope. Like, just being able to create stuff from your dorm room that scales and impacts just millions, hun- like tens, hundreds of millions of people. This is awesome. And it just kind of all started as a series of guesses. And I had a friend that we would just dream up these big ideas, and he was more the design business guy, it was a tech person. And, you know, it wasn't until, I mean, honestly, late college that I realized that, okay, like entrepreneurship, it is possible, even though the path to do that was unclear. Mm. But, yeah, I think that if I had to reflect on my story, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of clear direction for what was possible, Mm. you know.
0: But you had that interest, I guess, from early on, like you said, right?
1: Oh yeah. I had the interest and a lot of it was gained through just guessing. And I guess like media as weird as that is, it's like movies. Yeah, I thought like hackers were cool. I thought computer people were cool. People that built like people in the STEM. I mean, STEM always seemed like magic to me. Yeah. So I was like, this is dope. I don't know. I mean, this might not be cool. Like conventionally the cool thing to do, but it always felt really just like impactful and magical
0: no I, th- I think that's really interesting you know you mentioned the movie the social network that was let's see that came out in 2010 i think, I think. 2010 yeah 2010 so that means you were probably like in elementary and middle school in like the early to mid 2000s right i'm guessing
1: so let me walk it back i was definitely in high school when the social network came out I okay you're here.
2: in high school like, then.
0: okay
1: yeah i was doing my I think my AP bio homework, like I had the social network on my laptop and I would just play that movie over <laughs> and over again. Like that one and Inception, I watched those movies over and over again playing yeah. for, uh, while I was doing my homework.
0: I think it's interesting that you mentioned that like media was also kind of a a thing that motivated you about this, because when I think about a lot of the media that sort of depicted tech during that time, I can go back, you know, probably as far as. Say like ninety nine with the Matrix and then mm-hmm. Matrix Revolutions or I forget those what movies are huge.
1: Yeah, I like even then that was one of the movies I was watching a ton at
2: the time.
0: But also like the World Wide Web really started to I don't want to say mature during that time, but I mean I was I graduated college in 03 and I just remember that time from like oh three to twenty ten how there were new innovations in tech. And design, like it felt like every week there was something new. So mm-hmm. progress was being made in such a a quick pace that whether you were sort of in it as an actual practitioner or even on the outside of it being sort of the the beneficiary of this technology, things were just moving at such a rapid pace. I mean, you think about print magazines, like yeah, print magazines from two thousand to twenty ten took such a sharp decline because of the rise of desktop publishing. and people could write blogs. They could make websites. They could use content management systems. Yeah. So why would they have a print magazine? You exactly. know, so.
1: And I feel like the people, and you know, obviously, I was I mean, I won't say obviously, but I was pretty young at the time. and I feel like there were beneficiaries of people who just got to create and go very hands- on. And they rode that wave of, you know, let's say digital literacy and just that scrappy entrepreneurship in the, like the wild west of the world wide web. That was about
2: powerful, mm-hmm. cool.
1: but you know, there are people that just made a lot of money and influence and clout and learned a ton and that compounds, right. And I still think that there is a lot of opportunity in tech, which is why I'm so passionate about scaling my knowledge and especially for like black and brown people, underserved people, underrepresented folks of raising our technical literacy because, I mean, this, any sort of privilege, and it all compounds. So, yeah, I just think that that was always so cool. And I like, I kind of keep going back to like magic, like Matrix was literally just people defying physics and cracking the code. And social network just felt larger than life of how this kind of like gawky these gawky kids created this social network that literally changed the world of tech and connected everyone everywhere all at once yeah it was it was crazy and you know i think that that's something that i'm really passionate about is just scaling that knowledge like i said because it's magic and it's making a lot of people a lot of money and changing the landscape in ways that are for better and worse for some people
0: Yeah. And I think what it also did is it, you know, I would say not just for black and brown people, but if we look at black and brown folks specifically, also really kind of helped change the mindset of us from being consumers to creators. Mm -hmm. Because now the tools, you know, whether it's the personal computer or whether it's even just learning the languages themselves had become, you know, so easy to access that you could do these things now that you were seeing other folks do. And there weren't any sort of real gatekeepers to get a lot of these things done. Like I'm thinking back, you mentioned 2010 CNN had this, they used to do this series on CNN called black in America. Mm -hmm. And they would do like black in America 2, black in America, three black in America, four, and they would be focused on different things. And they had one that was like black in America 4 that focused on the rise of black folks trying to get into Silicon Valley. They called it the new promised land. Uh And is that what?
1: like the "if you build it, they'll come" mentality? Like, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it Which, was so. Uh, did age. It was so didn't interesting age. because, like, I was watching that, and not only were these people out there that were like my age, like Angela Benton and Wayne Sutton, etc., mm-hmm. but I personally knew these people. I had met them. I had sat <laughs> down and had dinner with them, and it's like now they're trying to accomplish these big, huge monumental goals now like it's really hard to kind of capture that feeling or to recapture that feeling i think now maybe but Mm. certainly back then it could have been very easy to really get like swept up in the feeling that like you could do this too because you also just saw people that looked like you that were doing it and the tools were available the opportunity was there like it was just a perfect storm
1: yeah and i feel i i very much subscribe to that last point you're on like You can't be what you can't see, right? And Mm -hmm. you know, I think, especially when I was getting started, I kind of always consider myself a little out of the loop. But I struggle to find just role models that really fit tightly to my trajectory. Let's say I'm—I've always been a little too counterculture for my own good, so it's never been sufficient for me to just necessarily cut and paste someone else's trajectory. Mm -hmm. But even still, like, okay. I want to find someone who is threading the needle between being conventionally successful, you know, in business and like obviously meeting the needs of the business while also taking this social responsibility lens, who is also a young black leader who also it's all of these then diagrams that I've just struggled to find. And which mm-hmm. is why I try to be and I, I definitely jump at the opportunity to be something of A role model, if I can, you know, through mentorship, through like podcasts like these, just to be the person that I wish I had, you know.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned going to college. You went to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. What was your time like there?
1: You know, I think that it was, if I have to summarize it, still me getting closer to what I felt like my my fit was maybe it is for a lot of people and for some people it clicks more than others, but I started in engineering. So my undergrad was in computer science and I realized pretty quickly that I didn't feel like I fit there, you know, like cultural reasons. And I mean, demographic, I was one of the few black kids in my class. If in some cases, like one of the only black students in hundred plus lecture halls, Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: exacerbated things a little bit, but even just the culture of it, like the in my opinion, the egomania of some engineers, this wasn't for me. And also I just didn't feel very tactile. Like I didn't feel, it, it all felt kind of abstract from time to time. But through that met a lot of designers, which began, you know, light bulbs started firing. as So what that world looked like found web development, which was the sweet spot of, okay, I can be an engineer that can think more about the user, what their needs are, what can add value for them. And it was honestly through that like web development, I wrote that out for a while and found the world of design through an internship at IBM, which you know, in my opinion, like completely there I think everyone has like landmark milestones in their life. And interning at IBM was absolutely one of them of this is what design looks like at scale. This is how these multidisciplinary teams collaborate it was so eye-opening and I loved the work that was being done there. And I guess I won't say moreover, but equally love the people, you know, from very junior to senior designers, just all incredibly talented people. And with this huge hearts, great character. And that was around my senior year of college that I did that internship. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I was like, okay, I felt like it started to click. That was the first time in my, you know, four or whatever years there that I felt like, okay, this is the click that I was looking for. And I guess the three years before that were, I mean, obviously, you know, I was, I did projects here, did class there, but it was a lot of meandering, let's say, in hindsight until I found that click.
0: Mm. So after you graduated, you mentioned this sort of IBM internship and you, you stayed there for a long time. You were there for almost 6 years starting off as an intern and then kind of working your way up to becoming a strategist. When you look back at that time, what do you remember? Are there any sort of specific takeaways?
1: Yeah, so it can kind of be broken down into a couple chapters. So there was my early career internship, you know, I then we went through another onboarding, let's say experience they call them boot camps. That's one phase where it's like starry eyed Early career Lawrence, the world is my oyster, the same traps that all of these early 20 something succumb to, you know, mm. and then I was on a team for around three years. It was basically IBM design for AI, which is the intersection of uh, design, AI, and basically consulting and facilitation. But it, in essence, we were creating technical. So how can non-technical teams get started with AI and create Compelling, honest in the sense that this is what the technology can actually do, implementation with AI. And amazing experience and maybe one of the best ways that I could have started my career on that team in terms of the, the work that I was doing and my boss at the time. Extremely encouraging and just gave me a, a long leash. So, I mean, there was that chapter. And the next chapter was my... Tenure on the transformation team, which worked on enterprise wide transformation efforts, predominantly in a hybrid cloud AI and culture. So, the net of it was I was doing a lot more consultative work, even on my AI team, the IBM Design for AI. And that was when I realized that I just loved sitting in the middle and working in cross disciplinary teams or multidisciplinary teams, having you know high visibility projects working with a lot of different stakeholders with big personalities basically translating the technical needs into layman speak into the needs of the business and you know the the kind of glib and story that I tell about it is I started in engineering and then realized that designers tell engineers what to do so I <laughs> went into design and then in, or designers get told what to do by like PMs and the business people so I went into that lane. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what you can make of that story, but that was kind of how I decided to hop through
0: those roles. From designer to engineer, I feel or like that's a journey option, of, yeah. of itself. Engineer yeah.
1: to designer. Oh, yeah. engineer it, to
0: designer.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and even now, I feel like both are pretty misunderstood titles. I, I would say design a little more so than engineering, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of times people think, oh, shapes, colors, make things pop, you know, as a designer, which I am not that kind of designer. It was, I mentioned my first boss, and I just think that that was a great place for me to start because he built my, I mean, both he was a design executive, so he practically sharpened my skills as a designer, but really just gave me the confidence to go into rooms with very senior people and feel like my perspective had a place there. So when I think about leadership, and I'm really passionate about leadership, there was a lot to be learned from the myriad of like actual leaders, like reporting chain leaders, mm-hmm. and just some of my mentors and peers. Everyone was just so generous with their perspective. There was a lot to learn in how to lead teams.
0: And now when you started the organization Tech Can Do Better, were you still at IBM, or is this after you left?
1: It was at IBM. So. Fun fact, and I recommend this to anyone that can pull this off, I ended up taking two leaves of absence to work on. The first one was Tech Can Do Better and work on that full-time for three months. And the second one, I took a four-month leave of absence to work on what was Pearl. And I mean, we reorged like right in the middle of my leave of absence, but to work on that full-time. And That second leave of absence was earlier this year when we got accepted into a startup accelerator.
0: Oh, wow. So IBM was pretty, it sounds like they were pretty supportive of what you were trying to do.
1: Oh, yeah. And I mean, even more specifically, my managers at the time, like my leadership. And I mean, if you know me, I don't, for better or for worse, I think that I'm pretty obvious with what my intentions are and what my feelings are about a thing. It's no secret how passionate I was about this and how much tech can do better and Pearl meant to me. And I explained it to my managers that I felt like, you know, this was a once in a lifetime opportunity for tech can do better. It was like maybe a month or a couple months. I'm losing track of the time after Mm -hmm. the George Floyd incident. And I was like, okay, the attention's waning. Like I only have so much time before people move on and focus on the next thing. I need to focus on this in order to capitalize on this window. And I mean, they were receptive to that. And then the second one was, you know, like I mentioned, I got accepted to a startup accelerator and I was like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. And I mean, it was, and I was like, I need to focus on this or I won't be able to forgive myself. So they were supportive of that. So to their credit, IBM, and especially my leaders at the time, I give them nothing but my gratitude for that.
0: Shout out to IBM.
1: I know. big <laughs> shout <out>. I, uh <laughs> And it's so easy to just be greedy with talent like that. but and I realized that I think I took two leaves of absence, like maybe less than a year and a half or something apart, I think. Mm-hmm. So that was a uh, they didn't have to do that. Shout out to them.
0: How has both tech can do better and Pearl kind of been received by the tech community? Have you gotten any sort of valuable feedback to go into either the organization or to the product?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I kind of joke that I accidentally ended up in this leadership role because when I was starting like way back 2020, when I was starting Tech Can Do Better, I would have never predicted that I would be on here right now still talking about it by any means. I mean, you always hope so, but that was unprecedented for me. I'd never done anything of that scale. And I put out a proposal. I mean, I, I asked some of my usual suspects and some of my closest friends and confidants at the time, like, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you want in? I really, I really could appreciate your help. They helped out. You know, I kept asking more people, people for help. Other people were asking if I needed help. And I was like, yes, months later I ended up in fast company, not knowing how I got here in the first place, you know, and it was this overwhelmingly positive and people saying they spun up tech and do better chapters of their company They gave the proposal to their executive leadership. I mean, it was incredibly surreal for me. I mean, like I said, everything was so novel. And I keep going back to, I have to imagine a lot of that came from just how actionable it was. You know, I get personally really frustrated with all of the noise and just the, you know, the content generation machine valuing quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. and i like to think that a differentiator can just be okay this is something that takes us beyond that 20% you know if i hear another takeaway that's like make sure to talk to your team or like listen or do your education it's it's all well intentioned but it's just so ambiguous and doesn't help people get started that i have to imagine what tech can do better it was a breath of fresh air because we were going one level deeper, if not like two levels deeper, which inform Pearl. I mean, Pearl is the tech solution that is tech can do better at scale. So driving actionable change from diverse leaders, helping each other get unstuck and unblocked. I mean it's it's the product that allows that matchmaking to happen. So it is those learnings that I brought even into this new org. But yeah, it's a a lot of great feedback that, I mean, a lot of this has just been, you know, listening and responding and reflecting and doing my best to take in what the signal is and what can make the product better and more valuable.
0: Yeah. In recent years, what would you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learned about yourself?
1: Oh, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was not expecting that question, but I will say, and I think that just off the cuff, There is a very thin line between what is a strength and what is a weakness and vice versa. I think that that's, you know, the high level what I've learned about myself. And even more practically, and I have friends and advisors call me out about this all the time. I am a very big picture thinker. And, you know, great. A lot of times people love visionary thinkers, big picture thinkers, but I am Slow and I struggle to get into the details and make it very, very real and make it maybe in another way, like very small, so that you can touch it. For me, it has to exist in like this universal principles, the big picture, this applies to everyone sort of thing. That's like one example, but of my what I think is a strength becoming a weakness. Uh, I have other ones too, but it really is such a, a thin line. And also, it's just reinforcing to me that in order to change anything, like any external thing, it really does start with you. I mean, right now, you know, I'm leading the org. I'm the first full-time hire, let's say, you know, I I jump full-time, but I have to manage my own morale, my own boundaries, my own timeline, my own organization, and that predicts how well I can manage all of those other things for a team of people or one other person. And let's say if I don't take the five minutes before the call to get my talking points, right. It tends to not go well when I bring in whomever I want to bring in. So like everything just starts with me and obviously I can only control me, but I'm just front and center every single day for how my own actions manifest and shape the outcomes.
0: Who are some of the people that have kind of really helped you get to this point in your career? I mean, you know, no person is an island, of course, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious, like, who your support system has been throughout all this?
1: It is kind of chapter dependent, like early career, like the people that got me at IBM, Adam Cutler, Greg Story, Bill Gilbert, a huge, Devin O'Brien. I mean, really, either they got me to go into IBM or just really hands-on mentorship, far more than they needed to be for an intern at the time. Huge people. Then, you know, just naming names, like Brad Neal, one of my co-founders of Tech Can Do Better. I mean, honestly, a big brother, if there is one. He is just such a role model in composure and equanimity. And he and I chat pretty regularly, and I always love his perspective. Moses Harris, Jill Soly, one of my advisors, Suresh. Fallon, Wayne, who's written. So like my advisors now, I mean, by and large, I need perspective and I don't do well just working by myself. So even if I'm not day to day working with someone, I'm always bouncing ideas off of people. But, and I mean, I I can't, it might be a little trite or corny to say, but my mom is such a reliable, Just I mean, she is my bedrock. Mm -hmm. I go to her for both practical and emotional support so i mean she is just the absolute best so i mean her as well i mean of of all the people who are the most reliable through lines i mean she's it i love her to death
0: if there's someone out there that's listening that kind of wants to follow in your footsteps what advice would you give them
1: i would say and i was reflecting on this recently that It's not too early to start. I know a lot of people say it's not too late to start, but I would say it's not ever too early to start. I do think that I know that a lot of people would say I'm young, but I still spent time feeling like I needed permission to do things or I needed the credentials or credibility or I needed something like I was missing something in order to just do that thing. And I regret it. And I wish that, you know, I just had the I heard it best once the confidence to be imperfect and the the courage to be imperfect. And I just think that like, you know, life is short, you just got to do it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid of failing or looking bad. Honestly, you are by doing your own thing and following your path. You're doing what a lot of people don't and I won't say can't do, but are are slow to do it, you know. And just following that fire That exists inside of you and just staying true to whatever that is. So it'll be really fulfilling and it'll be a hell of a roller coaster. But I think that that's what makes life worthwhile if you're 80 years old and looking back at your time here. Like that, you're going to be happy you did that stuff.
0: Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you want to do professionally?
1: I mean, get tech, I mean, uh, now Pearl to a place where it is. I mean it's a name stay. it's a household name I mean that's the obvious one I just feel like there's a lot of impact I haven't yet made that is just ripe for the taking I have also I mean on a side note and this could be a subject of a whole other thing I have gotten really obsessed with like writing comedy and that is like basically filming a show that is a whole other thing. Like it we don't have to get into it here, but
0: no, let's like, get into always, it. Let's let's I, get into I it. I love
1: the idea <laughs> of I mean, just like writing a show or a movie or shorts and filming it. Uh-huh. And specifically like some sort of like a comedy, you know, maybe like Atlanta meets Nathan for you or something like that. Like that, you know, I love stuff like that, but I honestly have no shortage of projects. But that's been one of the ones that I haven't been able to shape.
0: I mean, the comedy writing sounds, I like that idea. I mean, if you, I mean, would it be something like a, I don't know, for some reason when you said that Abbott Elementary immediately came to mind, but Mm. would it be some kind of like workplace comedy, something like that?
1: I'm honestly scared. I have a show that, I mean, I might actually film and every time I've shopped it to like a dozen or so people and they're like, dude, why aren't you making this? I'm honestly scared to give away my game right now, but I have a show. (laughs) The let's say is um, the style of the show will be more like mockumentary, let's say. So it wouldn't be necessarily workplace, but I have maybe the whole first season stubbed out. Like definitely I I've talked about it with a friend just shooting the pilot because I even think I have the pilot mostly stubbed out. It's just a matter of doing it. I don't know. I just, I've, I've always wanted to try my hand at it. Yeah. I know mean, I know I'm being very vague, but
0: <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, I, I get do. it. You don't want someone listening to like <laughs> poach your idea. I totally get that.
1: I feel like, I could be overhyping it. I could be delusional, but this is such a good idea. Maybe someone's already done it, but I need to release the pilot before I'm just out here talking about it.
0: Look, that could be a good side project. You could work on that mm-hmm. in your downtime.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe <laughs> these holidays when I'm uh, when things slow down a little bit, I can get out there and just shoot a, a crappy pilot. There you go. <laughs> but no, now th- I think that that's that's one of the the ones. But I, I think that realistically i just want to see pearl succeed obviously and there are some you know quantitative milestones that i would love to hit there are some like kind of qualitative thing like i guess like side missions if you will that are in support of that goal uh some of those goals that i would like to hit i want to create a successful company ipos exits or exits i don't obviously this is a long journey i want to have a tool that is used by, let's say, tens, hundreds, millions of people that adds value, that changes the landscape, that spawns competitor, let's say, collaborative companies that do similar things. I just think that the land of the like better collaborative software that focuses in on identity and personal context because this matters is pretty underexplored. And I say it's, it's, it's our, all of our detriment, and I'm going to see it through, given this everything that I have. So to the extent that I have a life's purpose, I feel like that's my calling, in addition to shooting the the other show that I mentioned. but Right.
0: <laughs> well, this is kind of a good, I guess, uh, follow-up to that then. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, What do you want your legacy to be?
1: I see those as two different questions, but five years, I would hope to have a team and what, wherever Pearl evolves from this, because obviously it will evolve. I, I'll use Pearl as a shorthand for the mission that I'm on now. I want to have a strong team, a strong leadership team. And I mean, just both be practically doing good work, but even I'll, I'll say equally importantly to the, the work that we're doing, the value that we're driving through our business be role modeling a way of better leadership. So, you know, I started Pearl because I felt like it would be more impactful to demonstrate through our actions, all of the the recommendations and that we were espousing through tech and Do better than it was just to say them and recommend them. So I want the team to just be a team of all-stars who are just devoted to demonstrating a higher degree of leadership and holding ourselves, the industry to a higher standard. In five years, I want that to be even stronger than I'm doing it today with an awesome, just all-star group of people, many of whom I've already collaborated with and potentially some who might be listening to this. Hopefully we all find each other. My legacy, I mean, as that's a huge question, I do hope in line with what I was mentioning before, I very much believe in the idea of leaving things better than we found it, right? And what that looks like for me is I feel like I owe so much to my ancestors, mostly black ancestors, very directly in my lineage. And, you know, let's say my cousins, aunts, you know, the folks around me who sacrificed a lot to get me here to where I am right now. And I want to contribute to that chain of progress of making it easier for black and brown folks younger than me who follow me, making it easier for them to have the opportunities to create wide-scale change and showing them that it's possible, showing them that you don't have to conform to someone else's trajectory to do that. You have the freedom to do it the way that is right for you basically widening what is possible for people to be conventionally successful and what that actually means. And hopefully, never sacrificing, I won't say hopefully, hopefully this is conveyed through my actions, threading that needle between doing what's right for the business and what is just societally responsible, whatever that looks like.
0: Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you about Pearl, about your work and everything. Where can they find that online?
1: Yeah. So, best starting place for that is our website. So, pearl.us.com. And you can find all of our links there to our LinkedIn, to our Instagram, to our app itself. Everything is, uh, that's the best place to start. For my work, if you want to follow me, similarly, you can follow me at lawrencehumphrey.com. So L-A-W-R-E-N-C.com. Hopefully, I think this will probably be shared out in the description, but that also has all of my links and basically anywhere websites are found, you can find those links and
0: find everything else. Sounds good. Well, Lawrence Humphrey, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I I think, first of all, just thank you for sharing your story of really kind of building a company. You know, I think... It's something that we see a lot. I think we have seen a lot over the years, just like, what does it look like to really step out and try to do your own thing? But I think it's really important to also kind of build in public in a way. And based off what you've kind of been saying, you know, how IBM kind of allowed you the time to do this and now you're building it out in public with advisors and such. I think that's really important for people to see that they can achieve their own dreams in this way. And of course, what you're doing is not only just helping you out as a founder, but also helping out the industry as a whole and hopefully helping generations of people to come. So
1: exactly. And I, I mean, that's important to me for exactly the reasons I said before. I want to be really honest about this story, too, that it's fulfilling, that it's hard. The self-doubt is to come. And it's just the more important to just keep doing it anyway. I have to imagine something, only good things can come if you just keep doing the work and surrounding yourself with good people.
0: Exactly. Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it.
1: Maurice, thank you for hosting. This was a pleasure.
0: Big, big thanks to Lawrence Humphrey. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lawrence and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400-plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, we always love to hear from you, so please don't be a stranger. Hit us up on social media. You can find us on Twitter or on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world.